Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Learning Out Loud. Today, we're joined by Tim Davis, an Associate Professor of Public Policy at the Frank Batten School of Leadership and Public Policy and the Director of Leadership Coaching for Batten X, the Executive Training Program. Professor Davis is also a clinical psychologist and was the chairperson of the Clinical Services Committee at the University of Michigan for four years. Both Marley and I have been students in Professor Davis's classes across several semesters and have enjoyed his teaching and style tremendously. We hope you will as well. Enjoy. Learning Out Loud is excited to announce that we're forming a partnership with College Contact. College Contact is a technology platform that connects high school students with college undergraduates for affordable and accessible college admissions advising. In short, your student gets to meet with a current college student at their favorite university. Once you set up an initial meeting with College Contact, they'll match your high school to a college student based on your preferences. This college student will mentor and advise your high schooler through the entire process, from forming a college list to brainstorming, writing, and editing college essays, to applying for scholarships and financial aid. The best part? It's extremely affordable, with hourly sessions starting at just $60 an hour with our 20% off discount code, Learning Out Loud. Just to, to kind of start off, could you just tell um, the, the audience, or just in general, a little bit about your background and how you became interested in topics like emotional intelligence and leadership and, and these aspects of psychology? Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I probably if I was going to narrow that shape and down to like, like, you know, kind of maybe one story that led me to this, it was um, uh, what someone has called my 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 bathtub moment. And I, I was I was uh, I was working I was working in a completely unrelated field in marketing and it was a Sunday night. And I uh, was, I, I played a, I played a soccer game. I came home from my soccer game and I was sore. So I got in the bathtub and I found myself kind of not looking forward to the week ahead. And I, and I asked myself why, and I realized that it, I just was, I was, wasn't, wasn't really focused on what helps people to lead better lives. What Pete makes people, uh, uh, um, what helps people to be happy and fulfilled and really make the most of this precious time that we have. And I realized I was so far off of that, that I was starting to dread my job. And, and that that's when it became clear to me that I was, uh, I needed to get into the people side of, of business and, um, and really look at things like motivation and resilience and well-being at work and what helps leaders and teams and people to to be the best versions of themselves and that was like the that was the moment that was when the light bulb went off for me and um i it was it sounds a little cheesy but it was a little bit like a lightning bolt and um fortunately i didn't get shocked by it since i was submerged in water but um I uh, I made the decision at that point to to go back and study this stuff and be a psychologist and try to help people um, be the best versions of themselves. So I know from that story and just in general that one of your big things obviously is resilience. How did you realize though that it was resilience that is so important? <laughs> you know, I didn't really code it as resilience um, back then. Uh, I have to be totally, uh, I have to be totally honest. I, resilience is a term that was kind of um, given to me at one point. Um, 
it 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 became a very it became a very in vogue term about 10 years ago in higher ed and somebody told me you know like what you're doing is resilience building and i was like no it's mental health and they're like no it's resilience building i was like no it's mental health um and and the more i the more i listened I really ended up getting very enthusiastic about resilience because it's so much broader than mental health. For some people, mental health sounds, you know, very narrowing. Like, you know, we all go, we all have mental health and we all have times in our lives where we need to tend to our mental health, but resilience is something really that we live every day. We all have, I just had the, the reason this meeting went over that I was late from something happened that was really unexpected and really, really hard. Um, and I had to manage it and I had to channel resilience. That's not mental health, you know, but it was a challenging moment. And it was something that I really had to create something good from that wasn't happening that was good. And it, it and it took a lot to do that. That was a resilience moment. And we all have those almost every day. And so resilience to me is is a term that captures, yes, when we need to work on our mental health, but it also captures just for when we're challenged in the moment, when we need to be the, uh, you know, when we need to be skilled and grounded and um, community building and do our best work. Um, resilience is really about living life in a way that helps bring to bear our strengths on the situations that require us to be strong. And, um, and so that's kind of how we, we got the, the, the term resilience and, and built the coursework around something that, I think just has more applicability to more people than well-being or mental health or, you know, taking care of yourself as a leader, you know, those, those more narrow um, frames. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. So something that we're definitely trying to make a point of is like the people on, we want to make sure like what they're saying is super applicable and it's easy to make applicable to like the general audience, but especially like people our age. So how would you say are like easy and tangible steps for people to become more resilient? Or you could even use the example that you were saying, like you just came from a meeting and something was challenging with that meeting. Like how were you resilient in that situation? You know, I, I mean, I think the, the particulars of that for me, Marley, were... Um, you know, how do we, how do we take something that, uh, how do we take something that was upsetting for one person and, um, and actually use it to build community around? It was, it was a matter of, uh, you know, pivoting, um, just not how, how do we, how do we go from kind of making it a cleanup job to really something that is, kind of exemplary vulnerability for a person who was sharing something upsetting and help the, 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 the group or the team that I was meeting with to support them in a way that built not just that person's resilience, but our resilience as a team that we really kind of tapped into our skills as a team to, to build community, to build relationship, to use high levels of EQ, um, to, um, uh, to really support one another during a difficult conversation. So resilience in that moment, that's that's what it sounded like. Um, you know, more broadly for the class, Marley, I think, um, you know, the, the model that we have of these 12 foundations, they're real. I mean, as I've really thought about 
you know, what, what is a framework that almost any human being can borrow and think about and build up a resilient lifestyle around? Those are the 12 that to me explain the most. And um, so while there's that while there's everyday ad living of resilience, you know, which is basically like, how do we take something that's uncomfortable or hard or painful or discomfort, uncomfortable or embarrassing and be our best selves in it? There's also a model, right, that we can think about, that we can build out a lifestyle around 12 things to really to, to work on in your life so that when those things do happen, you're not just completely winging it right? You, you, you've got a model you think about, you know, for me at that point, I'm thinking about how do we take something uncomfortable and, and tap into a depth of relationship building and support in a community that makes this a healing experience for a, a group of people. Um, that's out of the class, you know, that's the first foundation that we, that we do. So I feel like I'm going way around the block to answer your question, but you know, resilience is being our best selves in the moment with things that are hard, but it's also learning a framework and, and building a resilient lifestyle around those foundations. So when those, when those things happen, we kind of, we know what to tap into. Would you be able to explain that model slash framework a little bit? Obviously, like, I know there's an entire class about it. So yeah. Answer. As little as yeah, you. sure. I mean, for those of you who don't know out there about the, you know, the class or the, the model, um, uh, you know, it all comes out of, of the science of positive psychology. Um, we don't talk about anything in the class that's not really supported in the science. Um, so it's things like, um, building uh, building healthy relationships and and establishing a social support network for yourself knowing how to do that because we know people that have strong relationships and people that feel like they have a strong sense of being part of a community they're more resilient their mental health's better they cope more effectively with anxiety and depression and the stuff of life so if relationships are so important to effective coping with adversity better figure out how to develop more healthy relationships in our life, a better sense of community. So that's, that's where we start in the class. Uh, we go on to talk about managing change and, and, and effective change management approaches in our lives because our lives are always changing. It's just overlapping waves of change. Right. Um, and we know that people who are more effective at, um, uh, at, at managing transitions in their life, tend to be more resilient. So we talk about change management. We talk about probably the one thing I always say in class, if I could have everybody for one hour, I'd probably talk about growth mindset, probably the most scientifically supported healthy concept there is in terms of not just uh, our own individual mental health, but in terms of helping leaders be effective, helping professional people be effective and take risks and, and get better and stronger and uh, faster, you know, um, because we, because we take risks and we know that taking risks, uh, and pushing ourselves out of our comfort zones and failing in the process, all loads on getting smarter and more competent. Um, gosh, we go, I, I'm not going to be able to recreate these, from never, but we go from, uh, we go from growth mindset into, um, uh, we go from growth mindset into, uh, I think, 
the career is next and the importance we spend so much time in our jobs. They're really making sure that we're in, in uh, majors and vocations that are a good fit for us and really tap into our strengths. It makes it easier to be resilient. And so we spend, we spend a good portion of the class on career mindfulness, super scientifically supported, very old approach to developing more compassionate relationships with ourselves. Um, and we do a lot of practicing of uh, meditation and body scans and things like that, breathing exercises so that people know how to, uh, you know, how to not just talk about mindfulness, but, but how, to, how to do it. Uh, we talk about the importance of self-concept um, this is a real like, duh one, you know, but people who have more confidence and not just confidence, but people who hold accurate, positive, credible beliefs about themselves tend to do really, really well in adversity. Um, and while sometimes that is the work of months and years, uh, uh, you know, and really well done in counseling settings. We help students get a good start on that process. And what does it look like to disempower some of the, some of the unhelpful stuff that we all carry around a bit from our childhoods and other places. And, and so how do we turn down the volume on the negative voices and how do we turn up the volume on the, the genuine, accurate, supportive, objective things that are true about ourselves? Um, uh, we talk about um, meaning making is a big one. Um, and um, this is actually, I was just reading something this week, last week on a, on a trip to talk about resilience for uh, outside of Charlottesville. And, and uh, um, I came across some research that seems to indicate that, well, first of all, people who can make meaning in adversity, when they can take something that's really uncomfortable and see a deeper purpose in it, um, uh, something that they're learning about themselves or some strength that they're having the opportunity to work on in, in something that's really uncomfortable, those people tend to do really well mentally uh, in overcoming trauma. But the thing that was cool about this thing I was reading is that um, um, our meaning-making mechanism, which is something we is uniquely human, right? We we are one of there's a lot of things that make us uniquely human. One of them is when we're suffering. More often than not, we tend to look for meaning and purpose in it. Like for many people, it almost seems to be kind of built in. But if we're not suffering quite enough it doesn't kick in, right? So we, so it's like, if, we, if we're not feeling discomfort beyond a certain level, then we're kind of disadvantaged by not feeling more pain. Because when we, when we feel at least a moderate amount of discomfort, this, this meaning-making mechanism, uh, this author calls it our, um, our psychological safety switch, you know, how we take care of ourselves when we're hurting by finding deeper purpose doesn't get triggered. Um, and I thought that was fascinating, right? That, that it's not just, it's not just discomfort that, that kicks in this meaning-making mechanism. It has to be a, like a prerequisite level of pain. Um, and that's such a hopeful thing that the, that, that if we can tolerate it, the more, the more discomfort we feel, the more, 
we're wired to know what to do with it, you know, to, 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 to find purpose in the pain, you know, meaning in the madness, um, that we're wired to do that. Uh, and we do more of it when we need to do more of it is pretty, is a pretty cool finding. So that those are, I don't know that I hit all of them, but those are, uh, those are a lot of the the foundations that we we go through in in the class and help students to 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 develop along the the throughout this the semester. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So to kind of encapsulate, I think a lot of those points. If we could go back to the the story you had about being in the bathtub and having this realization. I mean, first, I think it's interesting that it was kind of like an ordinary Sunday, and maybe that's why that spurred that realization that you know in the normal times that you should be feeling this happiness, this excitement. To go huh. to That's interesting. Yeah. So I, I will well, you, okay, so is what is what you're saying is that maybe it's an example of the, the, the meaning making. Cause I had been unhappy in that job for a while, but it, it, it had to come to a point where I was like <laughs> pretty down. Right. You know, sitting in my own dirty bathwater, so to speak, of like feeling like unhappy at a level that I hadn't been, I was like tolerably unhappy. When I got really unhappy, it was like, you know, okay, it's now it's time to figure this out, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think I think what I'm saying is the gradual like creep of unhappiness is sometimes in, like more insidious than we realize, right? I mean, I think one of the the classic examples of meaning making in you know acute stressful scenarios is I don't know if you read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, but he talks about how you know he was a psychologist, he was a in the concentration camps with you know thousands of other people, and he said that the people who who made it through were generally those who were able to find meaning, and that you know a man who has a why can endure almost any how. So I so my my question about that moment for you in the bathtub is. Obviously, looking back now, you know, you're happy with the decisions that you made to to pivot to where you are now. Um, but in that moment, that's a scary place to be. And I think a lot of people that's, like to have that experience. But when that experience comes, that can be a really unsettling and kind of anxiety ridden time. So how did you do the, you know, back of the napkin math to say that it makes sense for me to take a risk here? and pivot to what I feel is right for me at this point in my life. And I, I don't know how old you were at, at that time exactly, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I really, I really love your, I really love your question and it, and it, um, see, this is why I love teaching. Cause you, you just, I've thought a lot about that moment. I've never thought about it in the context of like, I had to experience enough discomfort to really benefit from it. Um, so I, I love, I love that. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, what did I, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, in this frame of like, we only do really effective meaning making when we're miserable enough or uncomfortable enough. I think, you know, maybe the same human instinct that the four of us share took care of me. You know, it, it was like, yeah, no, enough. You know, you're only 27, which is how old I was at the time. Um, I had a lot of privilege going for me at the time. I, I didn't, you know, I, I was making good money. I could afford to go back to graduate school. Um, I, I wasn't married. In fact, I just had my heart shattered. So that was part of the pain of all of that. 
Um, but I didn't have kids to take care of. So I was in a unique position. I had all my options open. That is not true for everyone by any means, right? So we just have to kind of name the privilege in that moment for me too. Enough pain, um, some, some privilege to do something with it. Um, and you know, I don't know, I, this is going to sound self-congratulatory. It's not my intent, but you know, it did take some courage. You know, I mean, I, it, it was going to be a very comfortable next 10 years from now, a lot more comfortable than it was spending two years getting into graduate school, hearing a lot of no's to PhD programs, going back to school for five years, writing a dissertation, taking a licensing exam. And, you know, I was making about a third of the money that I was when I was done with all of that, that I was when I left my job. And, and so there's probably um, just a level of um, figuring out how to employ yourself to, to jump into the fear of doing something and leaving a lot of predictability and comfort to do it. I think, I think a lot of times it's, it's easy to stay like in the comfortable situations too, though. Um, like to not make that jump. A lot of times there's a, there's a lot of reasons that you could um, maybe convince yourself to not make that choice. So is there ways that, I guess, like, is there smaller ways like to build, to build that, I guess, ability to take risks or be resilient? Like, is there smaller steps you could kind of train yourself with on a day-to-day -day basis to 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 build up that um trade I guess you could say well I think you know I think this goes back to the it might go back to the the, the foundation in the class of self-concept um I was lucky at that point in my life to have, have done enough work on myself that I was confident in myself that I could make it happen and, um, you know, if we're not really confident in our core, if we don't have, and it's not just confidence, it's really self-esteem. Confidence means you believe you can do something. Self-esteem means that you're worth doing it for. And I did, I believed both of those things. I had the self-confidence and I had the self-esteem to, um, to say, you know, I was worth, I was worth sacrificing for, and I, and I knew there was a pretty good chance I could do it, but there were also points in my life where I didn't believe that. And I would have held on to the predictability and the comfort, Justin, because I, I, if you don't think you can actually make all that happen, then you're stupid to take the risk, right? I mean, human nature would say, why would I do something where I have a higher chance of being unsuccessful than successful, being less well-off than more well-off and a good chance of failing in the process? Um, so I think it's, I think it's a combination of, of, of how to develop those positive core beliefs, which is not an overnight thing, um, really learning about growth mindset and that, that even when things don't go in the direction I expected them to go, that it's probably still worth it, that I'll get stronger and smarter in the process. And, um, yeah, I think it taps into those foundations. I don't think I really answered your question um, because there's not a, I don't think there's a quick, like, how do you get more courageous a little bit at a time? I, I think there, there's, there's a longer arc to that. Um, 
but I guess we can practice taking risks, right? Doing the practice, doing things that are uncomfortable, practice saying things that we want to say in a class that we normally censor ourselves on or um, being more vulnerable with people we care about. You know, there's lots of little risks we can. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's practicing looking for little risks to take, um, you know, on, on, a, on a regular basis that get us ready for the bigger risks. Yeah, no, I think you're almost um, like building trust with yourself to a certain extent. And I know for me, I do that like through my routine or going to the gym. I mean, you could do it mentally, like you said, too, in classrooms or challenging yourself to learn new things. Um, so I guess you need to see it as a, like a continuous thing of, of building, building that up over a long period of time, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's well said. And then the other part, so you were talking about the growth mindset and you were uh, talking about finding meaning and purpose. Um, and I know I've definitely felt this throughout college. And I think a lot of young people feel this in the different jobs they're in. But um, what comes to mind is your first or second year at college, you come here, you don't exactly know what you want to do with your life, what you want to learn. Uh, I think sometimes it's maybe hard to see the meaning or the purpose uh, from the start. And I think that makes the day to day a little bit more challenging. Um, so I guess like what kind of advice would you have for someone feeling that way or in that type of situation? Hmm. Um, well, take, take the resilience class. <laughs> <laughs> listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen to this podcast, get to know the three of you. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's, it's a really good question because I think there's, There's some evidence there in your question that says you're advanced down the line of, of what we call adult development a bit. Um, thinking about meaning and purpose, there's a lot of people who would say, you know, 18 to 20 year olds, just they don't really do that. That's not where they are. Um, much more in the moment creatures, uh, you know, um, meaning and purpose is something you do when you're 50. And um, I don't believe that. Um, I think that for a good portion of college students, it can be really valuable to just start to wonder, not that you have to nail your meaning and purpose, what you're gonna do, what you're about, what all your values are, what turns you on, you know, all of that. It's, it's, it's just starting to be curious about it. And starting to be curious about it um, and ask yourself questions like, gosh, you know, when I'm in the middle of a finals week and I'm miserable and sleep deprived and cranky, um, how does this load on the broader purpose for my life? What am I learning about myself? How will this open more doors to me? How will it help me engage with things that feel um, super satisfying? Um, how is it going to help me make a difference with, with people while I'm on this earth? You know, like those are, those are the kinds of questions that again, even if you're just kind of like wondering loosely about, I think can put a lot of psychological fuel in your tank to get through, um, to get through tough, tough times. Um, and it's not for everybody, you know, we have, every, we have students, uh, you guys know we we have you write a, a personal mission statement in the class. And for some students, that just is not 
it's just not that helpful, right? But for a lot of students, it, it is. And, um, you know, having that, having some draft in your, your head or written down of, of what do you think your purpose might be um, to, to, fit, to, to, as the lens through which you look at your life, particularly when things are hard, can be, um, can be really helpful. Yeah, thank you. That, that sounds, I mean, that, that's actionable, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think if you guys want to move in, we have a couple of questions that we think we want to ask each guest and see how that, um, how the answers to these similar questions change depending on experience or outlook. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So the first of those questions is, um, and I'm sure, you know, parts of this were, were captured in some of your answers to the other questions, but what advice would you give to your, your 20 year old self? Um, and what, what do you wish you would have known at that point that now with the benefit of hindsight, you, you can see more clearly. Oh man. Whoa. Oh, I don't, that is a hard question at the end of the week. I gotta, <laughs> can I, can I, yeah. can I think for a second when I'm 20? Or just around that age, yeah. obviously. You know, I, I think it just in the moment, uh, that question will probably stay with me and I'll probably have four different answers by Sunday morning. But um, I think that the thing I would say right now to my 20-year-old self would, would be, um, Tim, things are going to be so different in your life than you expect. And it's all going to be wonderful. Um, you don't have to have it figured out. Um, you don't have to be on a narrow path. Um, it's going to be an adventure and it's all going to be good. And just trust that. Just, just trust it. You don't have to know what it's going to look like. And no matter how hard you try, you're not going to be able to, to predict. There's no freaking way I could have predicted that I was going to be a psychologist I mean, I hated my psych. I took one college psychology class as an undergraduate. I dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped Psych 100 because it was so awful. You know, um, what the heck? I mean, you know that that I would get to be a college professor. It's my dream job. It's just not something I ever thought I'd actually do. Um, I never thought I'd live on the East Coast, Midwestern or tried and true. I never thought I'd live outside of the city of Cincinnati. Um, I was sure I was going to be in business somewhere because my dad was a vice president of a corporation and that was my model and I needed to make, you know, X amount of money. But you know what? I've pursued what I loved and I, I make more money than I ever thought I would be making as a teacher of college students. It's, it's, it's just all turned out beautifully and I never could have predicted how it would turn out the way it did. So there's just an element of faith, I would say, Tim and any 20 year old who's listening, um, you know, just, just trust that your life is going to be different than you expect right now and just expect it to turn out beautifully. That was an awesome yeah, answer was, for sure. The next question is definitely very related to your response. So 
how much of your success, and that could obviously mean a lot of things. It can mean in terms of your career or anything else, really. Do you think you could contribute to hard work versus luck, like being in the right place at the right time? <laughs> hard work versus luck? Wow. You guys, these are <laughs> questions. Wow. Thank you. Gosh. Both. I mean, I do. I do feel like one of the luckier people that's ever lived. Um, I mean that. Um, but, you know, there's that old adage that. What is it that, you know, when you when you work hard, you you make your own luck or something like that. And. Um, I've worked, I, I work really, really hard. Um, you know, a lot of the work I've done in my life and I'm really just starting to figure this out. I'm 56 and I, I can see it. A lot of the hard work in my life has been too fear-based. Mm -hmm. Like what if, like, uh, what if, you know, what if I'm not successful or what if this class doesn't go or whatever it is. And, um, and I, I do I do wish a lot of my hard work had been more kind of just striving and trusting, healthy striving as opposed to like fearing. Um, but that takes a while to figure out. But I, I, I guess I hope it's not a cop out. I'd say both. I, 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 I think, you know, the, clearly people deal with things in their lives that at, at up to this point in my life, I've, I have not had to deal with. And I, I've been very, 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 very fortunate. Um, but I do think there's a lot to be said for um, expecting things to work out, truly being an optimist. That's one of the foundations that I didn't talk about, um, earlier is this, you know, uh, 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 positive bias, which we conceptualize in the class as, as being optimism, gratitude, and kindness that, you know, in a, in a secular way, you know, if you can really form your, your life around optimism, uh, gratitude and kindness. I think things, I think there's a better chance that you get a lot of good luck in your life. Um, you know, call it whatever you want, the law of attraction, and maybe people have religious or spiritual views about that. But, but, um, you know, I, I think, I think there's something there. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'd say it's both. I really liked the point, um, about, working hard like out of fear versus just striving for something because I think that for the majority of college students it's probably working hard out of yeah. the fear of what if I mean yeah. I that so yeah. that's yeah. well, yeah. your besides the mindset shift how would your behavior change if you were you know reaching for the carrot more than fearing the stick I'd be able to have a lot more fun yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> how would my behavior be different maybe enjoy the process a little bit more i'd enjoy the process more it'd be more fun um i would have been better at what i was doing i mean i you know i i actually just this morning looked back at a 360 degree review that 
that was done on me, uh, uh, you know, several years ago, and I, I ran across it, and I was looking at it, and, um, you know, I think people, I think if I had been working more for the carrot rather than fearing the punishment, I think that was your metaphor, uh, David. Um, I think I, I think I would have had more buy-in from the teams that worked for me. I think I think I would have been more likable professionally. Um, I think I'm a likable person, but it's hard to it's hard to build trust when you're scared. Um, it, it, it's hard to build alliances and emotional loyalty when you're so preoccupied with not screwing up. Um, and really, in some ways, when you're scared, having to put yourself first, right? And it, it often um, that that you can't be as effective with people and relationships. So I think that's something that would have been. I, I think I, I think I would have been better on the people side, even after I was in the people business. On the people side of the people business, if I had been a little bit more trusting that that I, you know, I was I was already good enough. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great answer. And, you know, maybe maybe it's not about the habits would change or the projects would change, but just the overall outlook on those changes. And that's contagious, especially when working with other people that, you know, you'll, you'll be able to be more in harmony with the goals and the people that you're working with when it's not so much worry, but the motivation. That's yeah, I think there. it's also just like an intrinsic versus extrinsic, extrinsic motivation in mm -hmm. a way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, uh, I think that's true. Yep. And then, so the last one is uh, what experience, or it could be more than one, do you think had the most uh, impact on your life, but that was unexpected that you didn't, maybe in the moment you didn't realize, or maybe you didn't expect that something like that would really change your life. Can you ask that one again? Sure. What experiences have you had that you think, uh, had the most unexpected impact on your career, your outlook on life, your any any realm of success. Therapy, that might be it. Um, I, I grew up in a family with a lot of mental health stuff going on. My oldest sister is uh, very um, psychiatrically challenged, and you know it, it. Everybody in my family was doing their own therapy, trying to deal with that, and I was always like the healthy kid who didn't need it you know and so the unexpected part was like all of a sudden you know I was in my 20s and I, I I prided myself on never having done counseling I mean how ironic is this right as a psychotherapist um and uh and I finally just was like I was I was not happy and I finally did it and um and it it changed it, it changed my life um and it wasn't just one stint in counseling. It was kind of just like making a lifestyle out of, you know, when when I'm hurting or something's not going well, just trusting that I didn't have to do it all on my own and talking about it with somebody who cared about me and would listen to me and, and give me a lot of those basic conditions that I needed to figure things out myself that I can't provide for myself um, over, you know, decades of just being willing to, to tap into that as a resource have um it's made me happier like every year i've gotten older so that that was unexpected and a meaningful kind of gift in my life
Um, I think the other thing for me that, that, you know, maybe on a more poetic level is really being, being intentional and careful about who you partner with is really important. Um, I'm really one of the reasons that I'm very fortunate is that I have, I have a great, I have a great person that I'm married to and, um, and, uh, she helps be a better version of myself. And I just, if you're not with the right person, if you're not with somebody who's healthy enough to, to be able to kind of track their own stuff and not always be projecting it onto you and, um, they have enough reserves left over to, to give, right. To give to me and me to her and to the kids. And, you know, uh, I mean, really when you, when you partner with somebody, it's truly a partnership. And that makes a huge difference in how resilient you can be, how happy you are, how mentally well you are. And, and so, and not everybody winds up with the first, we all make mistakes. I mean, there's lots of mistakes about who people wind up with. I would just say, do your best to, do your best to be really intentional about that one. And you might still screw it up and need a second go round or third go round, but, but having, having that right person in your life makes a big difference. I think that, that was, that was not, that maybe not unexpected, but I still looking back, that was just a, a shocking bit of fortune in my life to, to be with such a good person. Yeah. And I think maybe not to that extreme, but all the relationships you, you know, cultivate in your life, I think that applies to, and even the friends you make in college and the professors you talk to, I think. For, for sure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Learning Out Loud. If you found anything useful, please share with a friend to help us grow. We'd also appreciate it if you could rate us five stars on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next week with a new episode.